Hello, hello. Check this out. I want to show you an excerpt from my interview with the soon-to-be, we'll see, hopefully they can get their act together there in Washington, D.C., the soon-to-be new Speaker of the House. Well, I mean, look, I grew up a city kid, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, it was just me and my mom. You know, she struggled. She was poor. Uh, there was a time, you know, we were on food stamps and WIC and, and stuff like that. But my mother, for her, education was everything. That was going to be the thing that would get me out of the inner city. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's a tough lady. She was on my case all the time about about my schoolwork, my academics. Uh, yeah. You know, I took an investment course in high school. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, it was an elective and it was pretty cool. So I was like, well, I like money and I like math. I, I think I could do this. Majored mm-hmm. in it in college. Uh, didn't go back to New York because it was post 9-11 when I graduated. And mm-hmm. I came down here to Naples and just started my career, you know, banking, insurance, uh, financial mm-hmm. services. And, you know, the thing that really got me into politics was watching the financial collapse as a professional mm-hmm. and turning on the House Financial Services Committee and seeing members of Congress not know what they were talking about really just pissed me off. And so oh, yeah, yeah. I just started getting interested in politics and, you know, the rest is history. No, it kind of pissed me off too, as, as I watched that on the front lines reporting on it. Um, I, I can remember some members of Congress not being able to tell the difference between who was Treasury Secretary, who was head of the Federal Reserve, not being able to pronounce their names, asking questions that were so so out in left field um, that that didn't make sense. And by the way, like it, it happened on both sides. I, I think there's a, a kind of illiteracy. So you got interested in high school. How do we get more kids? I mean, this is I, I look at our society today and I look at the the amount of debt kids have taken on, including, by the way, student loans that now, you know, Joe Biden wants to write a mythical check and say, OK, we're going to make you know, 10, 20,000 of this go away. How do we get young people to understand the significance of money? Um, that's a good one. I, I think there's been a real push lately to have financial literacy be a part of requirements for high school graduation. Uh, I was in a state legislature for a couple of years and I would tell mm-hmm. my colleagues, like, like, I got no problem with English all four years. But truth be told, if you don't know how to balance a checkbook and understand interest rates, you're going to call you're going to cause far more damage to yourself than, you know, reading, doing high level uh, papers on Othello and Macbeth. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, <laughs> that's, not, that's not against Shakespeare. That's just By the way, it's not Othello and Macbeth today. anymore. It's a whole other set of books, yeah, that, yeah, that, <laughs> as that's, you know. That's true. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I cared more about just, you know, being a city kid, I cared about just making money and trying to find ways uh, to not struggle, like how my mom struggle, struggled. And then through, you know, my own understanding of economics and really being focused on economics, when I started paying attention to politics, I never really, I didn't look at it and still really don't like a Republican Democrat thing. I look mm-hmm. at it in terms of what provides economic growth, what allows people to succeed. And whatever those those policies are, I'm for that. Everything else is a circus. I think you- I, I, I'm responding to some of your questions. I'm going to show you a little bit more. But you know what? Like he had me at economics. I got to tell you, I interviewed him a couple months ago. And I, just, I said to him, look, I'm blown away by you because how often do we get a chance to meet people in Congress that know anything about the economy? And you heard him. His whole background is in that. He was fascinated with investing in the economy from a really early age, in part because he said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to grow up like this. I don't want to live like this. His mother, single mom, dirt poor. He grew up in the Bronx. And you know what? Hard, hard, hard life. 
But Byron Donalds is no victim. Nope. He said, I'm going to find a way out. I'm getting chills just thinking about it because given everything that's happening right now with all the victimhood stuff, it's really great to see somebody who feels differently. I'm going to show you more from Byron. We've got some breaking news. It looks like some of those weapons that were used against Israel may have come from us. So that's not good. We're going to talk all about that. We got a real problem, shall we say, with these ladies that are all part of the squad. We're going to get into that. But before we do, parts of the show are brought to you, as always, by our good friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com, Legacy Precious Metals. You know Charles Thorngren. His number is one 5650 If you're interested in investing in gold or in silver, which I know is a little more economical for some people, take a look at this. By the way, you don't have to buy like a whole ounce of gold, just to be very, very clear. Like you, you can buy smaller portions. You can do it there on their website. You can call them. They really are. I've called them. They're wonderful to speak with. And it's not like a high pressure thing. one 589 but we've got a lot to tackle today. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Before we do, very quick excerpt here again of Congressman Donalds, Byron Donalds, just, just wonderful. And by the way, like he's got a chance here, right? Because he hasn't been around long enough to tick everyone off, but he also is very much of the America first sensibility, certainly on the economic front and, and certainly on the liberty front, here he is telling me what he thought about all of these cases against Donald Trump. Watch. It's bogus. It's foolishness. It's, it's frankly, it's reckless. Um, you know, the president's just being uh, put up here because it's political and they just want to get Trump. And it's really unfortunate. I've been saying a lot. You can be for President Trump or against President Trump. You know, those are matters of politics. Americans, we're allowed to have those disagreements. But when you use the criminal justice system like this to get your political opponent, uh, that's when you really degrade what American values are supposed to be, what American justice is supposed to be. It makes us look foolish on the world stage, um, and it's really destructive internally of our country and of our political system. Bingo. I mean, I got to tell you, I think this guy's it. I, I said... Don't ever doubt me, (laughs) really. I said ages ago, he would be the logical guy. I mean, I like Jim Jordan a lot. Don't get me wrong. And I think the benefit Jim Jordan had is just, you know, a a vast number of years of experience. But with that comes the enemies as well. So here you got a guy, by the way, he's black. He's self-made. He pulled himself up from the bootstraps, became an investment professional, learned everything he could about money and the economy, given our $33 trillion in debt and still counting, given our $200 trillion in outstanding overall liabilities. Don't you think it might be nice to have somebody there who has a a darn clue about our economy and whether or not we can pay our bills? I think he would be. And I don't really, you know me, I, I don't really like come out and endorse, but I've said all along, I thought he was really smart. I love the fact that he's got a financial background. And while Jim would have been great, I actually was supportive of that. I, you know, I, I see all these people digging in their heels, 20 of them, right? And they're just being really, really stubborn because they're mad at Matt Gates. Well, here, ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, here is a potential solution. And I'm all about solutions because I don't like the fact that we're sitting here with no Speaker of the House. Let's get one. 
Let's get a solution. I mean, if the Democrats turn him down, if, the, if there's not one single Democrat that can vote for the black American that grew up poor as could be in the inner city and made it good, like, I, I'm sorry, then, then they, they're showing that. I mean, they show their true colors every single day. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. But he would be exciting. He would be historic. And, and forget about all that. Byron actually knows what he's talking about. So whether or not he can kind of corral people, all that, I think if he has good leaders around him, and I think there'll be a lot of people that are willing to help, I think he's got that, that center, that inner focus, and the head to be able to do this job. So let's see. Let's see what happens. we get some more breaking news that we get to get to. Um, First of all, we just learned that two more hostages have been released from Israel, uh, forgive me, from Gaza. These would be, I believe they're American hostages. We had American hostages that came out uh, just yesterday, a mother and daughter, just heartbreaking stuff. And they have over 200 Israeli and American as well hostages there, other nationalities too, that they have gathered. You see, they, they use them as human shields and as negotiating tools How sad, how sick is that? We're going to talk about it. Plus, this breaking news just coming into us right now. Literally, hot off the presses here. I just got this in. This is to Secretary Austin, and this is from the House Oversight Committee. They're concerned here about weaponry that that Hamas was using and other terrorist organizations may have obtained American-made weapons, they believe, if true, this would be obviously um, incredibly unfortunate. You do recall that we ran out of Afghanistan in a big darn hurry, right? We had hightailed out of there because Blinken and Biden wanted to make the 20-year anniversary. And in doing so, not only did they want to make the anniversary, they wanted to beat the anniversary. And in doing so, we had a lot of deaths needlessly. And then it seems we left all this stuff behind, Taxpayer paid for equipment, helicopters, weapons, all kinds of stuff. We left it behind because, well, it was cheaper. It was cheaper to just leave it behind than to take it with us. Like, that makes any sense. So according to Representative James Comer and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, they want some answers from DOD, the Department of Defense, right now. They said, one, recently released photos show Hamas terrorists allegedly holding what appear to be M4A1 carbines which were specifically designed for U.S. Special Operation Forces. Previously, say they say the CIA reportedly provided Stinger anti-aircraft missiles to the Afghan Mujahideen, which were later obtained and utilized by the Taliban. So in other words, there's precedent for this kind of thing. More recently, the Taliban released videos and photographs in 2021 of their members flying a U.S. UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter. Meanwhile, a recent defense intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine report alleges that Russian intelligence has repurposed weapons seized during the Ukraine-Russian war, which were manufactured in the United States and the EU. And then finally, an Israeli Defense Forces commander echoed some concerns in June 2023, stating the Palestinian groups in the Gaza Strip possess U.S. weapons seized by the Taliban during the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan in August of 2021. So way to go, Joe Biden. My gosh, I mean, 
it's like one thing after another with this guy, is it not? One thing after another. The stupidity, frankly, in the administration is, is really rather overwhelming. I mean, literally overwhelming. I mean, who the heck would give anybody $6 billion, $6 billion in that hostage trade? Here's a, a Fox reporter who totally called him out on this. This is great. This is great. John Kirby, not really knowing what to say here, you know, but, but she got him because this makes literally no sense. Aren't going to be released for nothing in exchange. Didn't they also get five Iranians? They will get five uh, Iranians uh, as well. Yeah, Jackie. Then we need to add $6 billion on top of that. This is the deal that uh, we were able to. This is the deal. Okay, this is the deal. This is the deal we were able to get. So so be it. I mean, it turns out we don't know all the details on this one, but there's a guy named Robert Malley. He used to be the special envoy to Iran for Joe Biden. He actually also works in a similar capacity for Barack Obama. And then he mysteriously disappeared in June of 23, according to Tablet Magazine. Of course, this is all reports. I have not confirmed this, but they're accusing the guy of being a spy and basically taking his orders from Zarif over there in Iran. Well, does that have anything to do with it? I just wonder. I just wonder. Of course, he was gone by the time September rolled around and we were giving out the $6 billion. But I mean, really and truly, does no one have any brain cells there? I mean, all this takes is a little bit of common sense. You factor that together with, okay, what was that, around the 19th of September and then October 7th, we have this horrific attack. What makes Iran think they can do that? Really? Maybe because they got the $6 billion? They're like, hey, you know, these guys have deep pockets. Maybe there is room for some more. Room for some more. Blinken wants us to know. No, no, no. No, we've, we've done what we can. To, they don't really have the $6 billion. Yeah, right? Yeah, right? Watch them. Is that what you have technically done now by stopping distribution from that account? Uh, as I said, there has been no distribution of the accounts. There wasn't a question of stopping it. There hasn't been any. Um, and we retain the right to formally freeze it. Okay, I, I got a lot to say on that. But before I do, let's hear from Donald Trump. Because you know what? Nothing like this was going on during his administration. I'd like to know why it's like one thing after another, it's disaster after disaster after disaster. Fareed, first of all, what do you make of this this latest development from uh, from the White okay, House? Yeah, that's definitely not. <laughs> that's definitely not Donald Trump. This is. I choked off the money to corrupt Palestinian organizations and stood with Israel like no president in history, recognizing the eternal capital opening up the American embassy in Jerusalem. <laughs> And recognizing Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, that was a big deal. And with the historic Abraham Accords, we had peace in the Middle East. Can you believe that? We had peace until this character came along. He doesn't know what he was doing. His name was Crooked Joe Biden. And under Biden, it's danger, death, and destruction all over the world. That's what it's been. It's been a disaster. Whether it's the borders, whether it's uh, the Middle East, whether it's Ukraine, whether it, everything is everything is broken. The whole world is broken. A great gentleman. The whole world is broken. I mean, when you have people who can't think clearly and you have a president 
who I don't think is really doing the job. I mean, heck, even 50 Cent, the rapper, was talking about that. He tweeted out, actually, I think it was on Instagram, a picture of Joe and his wife on the beach in Maryland, got fact-checked and everything because, well, it turns out it wasn't a picture from this weekend. But he's like, hey, man, get off the effing beach, for goodness sakes. Yeah, please, get off the beach. Do your job. Look, I'm not going to just totally trash Biden, although at some point I will. (laughs) But I, I I will trash a little bit Obama and then maybe a little bit Biden here, a little bit Blinken, because I'm just amazed that these people could be so darn foolish. But when you consider, you consider where all these people were, you consider the biases, right? I don't know if Mally was a spy or he was just one biased dude because he'd been working for Obama. The bias of Obama was pretty extraordinary. He wanted to do this deal with Iran. And he didn't care if he had to send $400 million in Swiss francs euros and other currencies in the dead of the night by airplane with a promise of another 1.3 billion in order to get it done along with by the way some hostage swaps as well i mean remember that i remember that i remember that and i i remember them taking our soldiers our our Navy personnel and holding them up for the cameras, putting their hands behind their backs. This was just a terrible, terrible, awful look, a terrible thing to see. And they put it out there because they just wanted everyone to see it as much as possible. And they took their weapons and they took their passports. And then suddenly they had some more negotiating leverage, which, you know, Obama fell for. But I don't even think he fell for it. Like, he didn't even need to fall for it because his bias was such. He thought that he could somehow get peace in the Middle East by somehow getting Iran to the table. And I got news for you, buddy. You're not getting peace in the Middle East with the Iranians and certainly not with those that are living in Gaza and the West Bank. When you look at the Palestinian Authority, which we just gave $100 million to in humanitarian aid, you're not going to believe of this was in fact dictated by the before we get to Obama I, I got to tell you about that you're not going to believe what the Palestinian Authority is saying we just turned over a hundred million dollars in humanitarian aid and before everybody goes oh you know Trisha not being very nice and you know those are people those are victims yeah yeah no I get it I get it the problem we have you see is that, unfortunately, the money doesn't really get to the victims because a lot of this money winds up and going, going straight to funding more terror, which is why President Trump cut it off entirely. It resumed under President Biden, and nearly $300 million of your taxpayer dollars and mine went to the Palestinian Authority. I want you to keep this in mind when I read to you this next statement, because this just came out over the weekend. This is the Palestinian authority that was just handed a hundred million dollars. Thank you very much. Okay. So take a look at this. This is some new documentation. They came out, their ministry of religious affairs, and they basically called to kill Jews. They said, we call upon our Palestinian people despite the pain and tragedies. We cannot raise a white flag until the occupied is 
removed and the independent Palestinian state is established with Jerusalem as its capital. The time will not come. Uh, We missed the really good part, so we're going to go back. We're going to go back. We missed the good part here, guys. Not, this is not Hamas. This is the Palestinian Authority that gets the $100 million of your taxpayer money, my taxpayer money, to help with the humanitarian efforts. So are they really going to embark on humanitarian things? I mean, look, I hope, right? Like, But I don't have a lot of faith in any of this, and I think we've been stupid all along the way. We've been stupid because we keep giving these people money. And what happens? Oh, they take... They, they take it right back out on us and on Israel. What happened in Israel should never, ever, 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 ever have happened anywhere. And the lack of support for Israel is shocking to me. There's some Hollywood agent that like represents everyone. And she just had to take a leave of absence because she sent some tweets out just saying how horrified she was that people could just stand there and, and, and stand with Hamas. I mean, you got Kylie Jenner that, that took down her Instagram post because she wrote Stand With Israel and she lost 2.3 million followers, and so she took it down immediately. What is wrong with people? Why can't you stand up for innocent individuals? Why do you have to follow the mob? Well, we have quite a mob, quite a mob that's been influenced at American universities thanks to hundreds of millions of dollars that has been donated going back all the way to the 1950s from a lot of these Middle Eastern countries. They really stepped it up after 9-11. And so you've got kind of a group think. And then you have people like those on the squad that I believe are truly dangerous now to our country. I have a series of sound bites I want to play for you from them, sort of, you know, the, the least worst to the most worst, but, but they're all pretty darn bad. Take your pick. First of all, let, let's kick it off with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like somehow there's a racial component to all of this, right? Which, you know, MSNBC is all about and walks her right into. Take a look at her here. This is her over the weekend. And listen to this guy, this weekend anchor. Terrible. On MSNBC, trying to push a narrative that is false, that is fake, that is wrong, that is not American, that is not Israeli, and yet here we are. All or almost all of the at least 18 House Democrats who've called for a ceasefire in Gaza are people of color. How much of the congressional indifference to Palestinian life in Gaza, the refusal in D.C. to acknowledge sometimes the humanity and the innocence, not to mention suffering of ordinary Gazans, how much of that is driven by the fact that they're Arabs, or they're mostly all Muslims, or they don't look like us, do you think? I mean, I will say that I have long found the ignoring and sidelining of Palestinians in the U.S. House of Representatives, the, Palestine, the humanity of Palestinian populations uh, in the five years that I've been in Congress quite shocking. Uh, this is not something that is new to many of us. I have engaged alongside many of my colleagues from 
Betty McCollum's bill on uh, the detention, you know, conditioning aid and making sure that it's not going to the detention of children uh, to to just raising the, the routine human rights uh, issues. And we've been trying to raise the alarm bells around this for years. And there has been virtually no acknowledgement in the United States House of Representatives about the the, the extreme plight and human, continued human rights violations of the Palestinian people for years. Yeah. Look, I, I got to show you some more stuff, but before I do, I, I just want to jump in with a plea for help. Um, it's awful what's going on there. I, I haven't shown the, the, the footage just because it's, it's tough to see, and I think you're getting it elsewhere. I, I hope you are. I hope you've seen it. I didn't want to show it here, but trust me when I tell you that some pretty horrific things have happened to these people. And the fact that we have lawmakers and we have groups of students and we have large, large swaths of people that absolutely have no sort of compassion for the heinous atrocity that just went down, that's kind of alarming. Okay, it's really alarming. So I wanted to do something. I wanted to help. And it's the reason why I joined forces. I have partnered. You can see it right there on the bottom of your screen. I have partnered with a group called the International Fellowship for Christians and Jews. And they have an emergency fund right now. And they have a ton of people over there on the ground in Israel. And they're going to the hardest hit areas. And they are doing everything they can to comfort people, to help the kids, to help make sure that the elderly have hot meals, to make sure that forces in the IDF have what they need. I mean, this is a tough time. And I think Israel feels really alone, really alone right now. I'm putting the the link. I I shortened the link for you. Um, It is a wonderful, wonderful charity that does so much good. And I should point out with this emergency fund, every single dollar, every dollar that you give right now goes directly to that fund, directly to that fund to help these people. So this is a very special effort that they've got going underway. And I wanted to be part of something. And this is a wonderful charity, as I said, so it made me feel good. I mean, look, it's not going to solve anything. I get it. But, you know, part of, I think, just being a good human being, being a good Christian is knowing when to step up to the plate, right? And try and do a little bit, a little bit to try and help somebody else less fortunate. And let's face it, these people the families of these people. I mean, it is so tragic. It is, and I just keep hearing stories after stories after stories. I was talking to someone the other day who has two friends that were killed in this attack. I talked to somebody else whose family was hiding. They had a like a bomb shelter underneath their home. It is just awful. And they hid and they waited and they waited and waited until the IDF came and rescued them. So this is a wonderful charity with an emergency fund that they're putting to use. I'm going to put the number both in the show notes as well as in our chat right here. It's 1-800-248-8881. You know, I'm not really good at memorizing numbers. And that one's like seared in my head. Like I think about it when I go to sleep at night, I think about it in the morning and all I want to do, we've raised, we've raised a lot of money. Thanks to you guys, by the way, we've served thousands of hot meals. Thanks to you. We've gotten coloring books for the kids. Thanks to you. And I'm so proud and I'm doing my part. I I hope you can too. Any little bit. It it doesn't like a dollar, 
just the act of doing something. And by the way, it's, it's empowering. I know we feel helpless, but knowing that you can try and maybe make a difference somewhere, somehow, it's the right thing to do. It's what God wants us to do. So please just take a minute. I will put it here again. Thank you, Leslie. She, she was saying what a fabulous organization it is. You know, look, I wouldn't be working with them if it wasn't. I, I have some friends who are involved with them as well. And, and they just, they were so, and, and independently they came to me and they were like, Trish, that is absolutely fantastic that you're doing that. We love, we love the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. I have a lot of friends. I've done some, some work with the friends of the IDF as well. I'll tell you some more about that coming up. But they also said to me, just a tremendous organization. So it's something you can feel good about. It's something I feel good about. And at a time like this, when you have the likes of Ilhan Omar saying what she said, and, and really just not, and, and don't get me wrong, like no one should die. I'm, ne- I'm never advocating for that. But you got to understand what just happened to Israel. It's as though 40,000 people in the U.S. were taken out. you got to understand that. And for them not to be able to go out and take out Hamas, that would be really bad. And I'm worried about that, actually. I'm worried that that was one of the reasons why Biden and Blinken were over there. And I've got some intel I'm going to share with you on that momentarily. I'm really worried they're not going to be able to finish off Hamas, and they have to. They absolutely have to. Just like we got rid of ISIS, they got to get rid of Hamas now. And there's going to be a whole, you want to talk re-education program and and reprogramming, forget Hillary Clinton and all that nonsense. This is the real one that needs to happen. Anyway, Ilhan Omar being asked, you can barely hear the question, but she's asked, well, you know, what are people supposed to do? I mean, children were beheaded. People were, were burned alive. What do you think? Women were raped and Israel's supposed to do nothing? Watch her. So here's the question. A question from anyone else? They're talking about being burned, tortured babies, being decapitated. And you see her on the left there. How many more killings is enough for you? Is it a thousand more? Two thousand more? Three thousand more? How many more Palestinians would make you happy if they died? Do you, you, will you be fine if all of the people of Gaza were gone? Would that make you happy? Would that be the thing that makes you proud? And maybe that's the question you should ask Richie. Is he okay? How many more Palestinian lives is he comfortable with? Because I am not comfortable with any more. And she runs off. She runs off. I mean, what a trooper, right? Right. What what a wonderful, wonderful... I, I'm being facetious, woman. I, Jeff Noyes, thanks. Yes, Yael Eckstein. She is. She's wonderful, you know. Her whole heart and soul is in this, and her dad started it. And I, I got to tell you guys, like, whatever you can do, I'm going to put it back up there. It, it would mean it would mean a lot to me, but more importantly, it means something to the people of Israel, and it means something to you yourself. I mean, this is this is a moment where I think we've really got to be coming together to help people in ways that, that God wants us to really and truly not that. I mean, Ilhan Omar, my gosh, it's bad. It's really, really, really bad. Meanwhile, you know, that's not, and that's not her only little thing today. Omar's like on a, she's on kind of a, uh, shall we say like a, 
rampage here. She's like one after another, boom, 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 boom. So there's, a, a, again, a, a Fox report. I think it's the same one that was actually asking the questions of Kirby earlier. This might be the woman that's married to Peter Ducey. Don't, don't quote me because I don't, I don't want to misspeak and, and start any rumors. But she asked Ilhan Omar the same question. And, and I guess Ilhan was told to kind of pipe down a bit. Same question. How can Israel just have a ceasefire with terrorists whose entire mission is to wipe out their existence? How can they have a ceasefire if they're trying to wipe out She said, ignore this crazy lady. Don't worry about her. Ignore this crazy lady. Don't worry about her. That was Ilhan Omar's reaction to a well-established journalist. She's just a crazy lady because, you know, if you don't agree with Ilhan Omar and you're not all for allowing Israel to be wiped out, then you're just a crazy lady. So you get Ilhan Omar, you get AOC, AOC, you get the um, Presley woman, and then you get, then you get this one who, I got to tell you, given what we learned happened to the woman who was the president of her synagogue, in Michigan, now we don't have all the details yet, but it certainly seems on its face as though it were a hate crime. I know that the, the police don't want to have to come forward with any of that, but the woman was stabbed to death right outside her doorway on a Saturday morning. Again, the president of her synagogue, and this is in you know, Rashida's territory, and it comes hours after Rashida Tlaib, a congresswoman from the United States of America, is out there carrying on like this. And to my president, to our president. Yes, he's still our, well, hold on. I know, I, hey, I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, is also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not... Rashida, absolutely not. But let, let's let's turn the tables on you here, right? I, I do recall a time when 
the Democrats were saying, go, go hunt them down, anybody who supported Trump. Remember when they went after the woman who was in charge of the border and she was having dinner at a Mexican restaurant with her husband? They started attacking her. Remember when they went after Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was just out for brunch with her in-laws, who happened to have voted for Hillary Clinton? How's that for you? And she had to get thrown out of the restaurant because she was subhuman, because she was a Trump supporter? What do you think about these Penn students shouting that they want genocide to Israel? You know what that means, okay? Let's be very clear. I, I read from you, from the Palestinian Authority earlier, what they're trying to convey in mosques now. Quote, we call upon the Palestinian people despite the pain and tragedies. We cannot raise a white flag until the occupation is removed and the independent Palestinian state is established with Jerusalem as its capital. This time will not come until the Muslims fight the Jews and the Muslims kill them. Until the Jew hides behind the stones and the trees and the stones or the trees say, quote, O Muslim, O servant of God, this is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. This is not Hamas, which we know wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. This is the Palestinian Authority, to which we just gave $100 million for humanitarian needs. We also just gave them over the last year nearly $300 million, again, for humanitarian needs. And then you got these rocket scientists at that Ivy League institution, UPenn, chanting stuff like this. So in case you missed any of that, I know it was hard to hear. But they were calling for the genocide of Israel. And this is a common chant that we've been hearing actually all around the world. So this is kind of messed up, just a little bit messed up. You know, hey, one little bit of good news, those Harvard kids, the ones that signed that letter, the ones at Harvard Law School, they were all set to take their $215,000 a year job at Davis Polk, which is one of the best law firms in the country there in New York City. <laughs> Davis Polk just rescinded all the offers. Good for Davis Polk. You know what? Good for them. Because they're like, hey, you know, the, these kids like clearly don't know. <clears throat> As my aunt used to like to say, they're arse from their elbow. <laughs> I mean, not only that, that, that's a diplomatic kind of funny way of putting it. It's actually much, much worse. These kids are somehow justifying terror, justifying hate, justifying rape, decapitation, hostage-taking, because it's a means to an end. Oh, the, the oppressed, the oppressed needs to fire back. It's why you had that Cornell professor, another Ivy League institution, associate professor of history out there. They caught him on tape talking about how exhilarating all of this was. Exhilarating. Are you sick? Sick in the head, clearly. Clearly, I'll tell you, you know, we shouldn't be sending money. We shouldn't have sent the, the billions of dollars to Iran. But we keep making these mistakes. And it goes back to Obama. Obama, who had his own personal viewpoint and sense of things that it really was just kind of, you want to talk out in left field, 
I think some less nice people might might even say it was quite deliberate and quite messed up. I mean, remember when he came into office, he totally bypassed Israel, wouldn't go meet with Netanyahu, went to Cairo and some said some kind of negative things about Israel while in Cairo. And then there was that opportunity, I believe, at the UN for him to have dinner with Netanyahu and he kept him waiting for a couple of hours. Yeah, that was Obama. That was Obama. He wanted a deal with Iran. But he somehow didn't understand that the mullahs might be in the way. Anyway, he, he, he got back to the negotiating table, whoop-de-doo, so that he could give them $400 million in the... timing of this was, in fact, dictated by the, by the fact that, as a consequence of us negotiating around the nuclear deal, we actually had diplomatic negotiations and conversations with Iran for the first time in several decades. So uh, the issue is not so much that it was a coincidence as it is that we were able to have a direct discussion. John Kerry could meet with the foreign minister, which meant that our ability to clear accounts on a number of different issues at the same time converged. And it was important for us to take advantage of that opportunity both to deal with this litigation risk that had been raised. It was important for us to make sure that we finished the job on uh, the Iran nuclear deal. And since we were in a conversation with them, it was important for us to be able to push them hard uh, in getting these Americans uh, out. Aren't you glad he's not president anymore? Wow. I mean, so, yeah. Oh, they had those wonderful deals that they started, those talks. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you were worried about the $400 million. That's why you had to do it, because legally, like, they could go after you. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to buy that one, okay? A, a, a nation that has committed so many atrocities, a nation that supports t- terror, known terrorist organizations like Hezbollah and Hamas. Barack Obama, you think it's so important that you, you get yourself off the hook legally? Say so you hand him $1.7 million, billion, forgive me, billion, with a B, ladies and gentlemen, billion dollars. Yeah, that's what he did. And then, oh, Donald Trump became president. So all of a sudden, that $1.7 billion deal, that was suddenly not in the cards anymore. And Obama didn't quite know what to do about that. So what did he do? Oh, he sent John Kerry, his buddy John Kerry, who's that, like our climate czar now, who takes all the private planes and is like encouraged. I'm sorry, but like if you care about the climate, if you care about the environment, we're not going to have all these wars, right? You're going to do more to protect the world from all of this destruction. That's what you should be doing anyway. But John Kerry, back in 2018, after Donald Trump had become president, went and met with the Iranians, met with Zarif and was trying to counsel them on like how you do this whole thing. I mean, that kind of seems like spy territory to me. That kind of seems like a violation of the Logan Act to me, and yet nothing ever happened. Nothing ever happened. And then here we come full circle, full circle, ladies and gentlemen, where we have Obama 2.0, a president who can barely stand up. Poor guy. I mean, poor guy. He's never been smart either. And now it's just really on display how lacking in intelligence he is, except when it comes to his own pocketbook. We've got to talk about that. There's some $200,000 check that was just discovered. Anyway, here's Blinken. Oh, we, we, can, we can freeze this money. No big deal. 
So you, is that what you have technically done now by stopping distribution from that, that account? Uh, as I said, there has been no distribution of the accounts. There wasn't a question of stopping it. There hasn't been any. Um, and we retain the right to formally freeze it. <laughs> okay. But they haven't done it yet. They retain the right to. Come on, guys. Enough, enough. I, I could use some choice words, but I won't. Here's the deal. At this point in time, I suspect that Blinken and Biden are desperately trying to avert a kind of World War III scenario. And I don't disagree with that, right? We don't, we don't want the world to be at war. But consider the difference between now and then. In other words, this would not have happened under Donald Trump because Donald Trump made it clear over and over and over again, you come after me and I come after you with all I got. I mean, he did it on Twitter, right? Anybody who criticized him, he doubled down and then some. And he was willing to do that with Iran. And he destabilized the world enough because he made friends with Putin and he made friends with Kim Jong-un. And everybody's like, what the heck is going on? But if you think about it in some ways, he hadn't read a ton of books on political science or on history, and he wasn't listening to all his advisors. He just had an instinct for this, which, frankly, I think is a lot of what it takes. I mean, I think we overcomplicate it with a State Department filled with thousands of people that spend their careers studying all this, but yet don't have the common sense enough to know that you don't give $6 billion to a country like Iran. And that you know what you you gotta you you gotta stand up to the bully, right? You gotta stand up to the bully, and the bully right now is Iran. So at this moment in time, I suspect, even though they're saying something else and they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth because they have to, they can't say, "Oh, we're telling Israel to calm down." It wouldn't be strategically good for them to do that. But, you know, I I opened my Bloomberg app on the phone this morning, and and, and Bloomberg was all about, well, it looks like the ground invasion's not going to happen. And then you have this guy, Fareed Zakaria, who is just so tiring and so boring. I actually had to listen to a speech once by him for, oh, my gosh, it was like the end of the night at an event in New York City. Everybody wanted to go home, and this egomaniac would not stop talking. I mean, the whole table was like, are you kidding me? I mean, it went on and on and on and on. And it was beyond boring. He is very boring, but I'm just playing like 20 seconds here. He's saying that um, probably you're not going to have this ground invasion. This is what they're all wishing for. And this is probably what Blinken and Biden are wishing for. And probably Obama from his bunker over there in Martha's Vineyard. Fareed, first of all, what do you make of this, this latest development from, uh, from the White House clarifying the president's comments? Well, it may be an unintentional slip. You know, some people sometimes say that in Washington, a gaffe is when somebody accidentally tells the truth. Uh, I think the president and the administration have been counseling the Israelis to be more thoughtful, more deliberate, more careful, uh, think through what they want to do. Uh, before the ground invasion. I'm sure it wasn't tied uh, in the president's mind specifically to the issue of hostages, but the administration has been counseling uh, the Israeli government to uh, think hard about the the ground invasion. In fact, Caleb pointed out, the White House said, the president has been asking hard questions. 
I, I think there's a lot of concern and apprehension that uh, if Israel goes in in a big way into Gaza, uh, they will, first of all, they might find themselves in for a long, painful, complicated uh, uh, occupation, but also that it will inflame even more uh, sentiment in the Arab world, outside. You already see now Saudi Arabia, uh, the crown prince has just come out in favor of a Palestinian state on the 1967 lines. This is, to my, the best of my knowledge, he's never said this before. So you see the pressure that is being felt in Arab countries. This is a, this is a leader who had, you know, two weeks ago been trying uh, busily to, to normalize relations with Israel. So you're seeing the, the, the diplomatic and political price that, uh, that is being paid. And I think the White House has been counseling Israel really think this through. Okay, okay, excuse me. I got to just stop him there because, all right, now the Saudis don't want to move forward with the Abraham Accord. Don't you see? This is exactly what Iran wanted. This is why Iran greenlit this mission. This is why Iran was training Hamas with ISIS-style tactics. The U.S. has refused to confirm that. But the Wall Street Journal had some excellent reporting on this. And apparently Hamas officials as well as Hezbollah officials have told them, yeah, we got the green light from Iran. So you see, Iran didn't want this whole Abraham Accord thing happening. That was actually Trump's baby. Well, technically, was Jared Kushner's baby, right? Jared Kushner's the son-in-law, the Jewish son-in-law, married to Ivanka Trump. And he got this whole thing rolling, and it was pretty amazing. It was pretty incredible. Oh, my gosh, we were looking at, for the first time, peace in the Middle East. How wonderful. And so then Iran just threw a giant wrench in it, as only Iran and Hamas could. They used they used the people of Gaza. They used those Palestinians for this. But here's the thing. You know what? You don't mess with the Israelis. Take a look at this. This is the Israeli Defense Forces Iron Strike, just amazingly precise. They just unveiled this video today, and, you know, I get it. Like, part of this is posturing, and they, they want to make sure everybody knows what they've got. But they were able to take out some of Hamas there in Gaza today with this. So we're looking. and incredibly vicious, right? Um, and so that's that's one thing you got going on. And then the U.S., we got a few things as well. You know, we've got one of our um, ships over there. And what's interesting is, is this particular ship is actually equipped with some some special equipment that is a little bit on the unusual side in that it's not typically what you would have. It's, it's brand new. And these are lasers that are so precise and so efficient and so cheap. It costs between $1 to $10 to fire these things versus the typical $1 to $10 million. Let's look at this. The U.S.'s new laser-firing aircraft carrier is off the coast of Israel. How it works will blow your Okay, so this is this... Uh, Aircraft carrier, again, off the coast of Israel. It's got this laser pointer 
that has incredible accuracy. It's very, very specific. They can shoot it. They can make sure that they shoot it without doing damage to the surrounding area. So it's pretty phenomenal. And this is what is now sitting there uh, ready for use if need be. And so that's just another example. Now, again, we don't want it to, we don't want it to go there. But this this laser weapon system apparently is just so phenomenal that it costs a, not even a fraction. I mean, we're talking a minuscule amount of money compared to what you would normally normally see. And so you got a lot of posturing right now because Hezbollah over in Lebanon, they're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to do something. You've got the Saudis wanting to do something. I've got again, I've got again. Uh, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews up. Uh, Stephen Hilly, thank you so much. He's he's mentioning that. Listen, guys, whatever you can, don't just donate whatever you can. Really, like if if you can do a dollar or five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can do. I am telling you, it matters. It matters to these people. It is, and and you will feel better. And it's it's what it's what we're supposed to do, right? In a time like this, it really is. I'm going to put the link here as well if you just want to do it online. Or you can call them. Again, this number is like seared into my head. 1-800-248-8881. So, you know, look, whatever you can do, the, the, the people need our help. The kids need our help. And it, it'll make, it'll, it doesn't solve anything. I get it. But it, it makes you feel better, right? I started crying the other morning because I was so happy we had we had raised so much money right here on this show. Thanks to you guys that that we were able to feed thousands of people. And that just made me incredibly, incredibly proud. Very, very, very proud. But, you know, I'm looking at the media out there. I got to say, I mean, you heard Fareed Zakaria. We know his point of view. And by the way, I'm not saying that we we got to be cautious here in that I would hate to see Israel do something stupid like we did. Remember after 9-11, we weren't content with just Afghanistan. We had to make our way into Iraq, and we bought a whole false narrative there. So we don't want Israel doing things like that. But I'm a little surprised by some of the members of the media that are so quick to automatically blame Israel. Don't forget, last week, of course, there was that bombing on the hospital in Palestine, but it turned out, and pretty quickly, within sort of moments of that all happening, we started getting information in that it was likely a misfire on the Palestine side. And yet the media did not want to report that. They wanted to report, oh, you know, the IDF has a tendency to lie, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the bias in this, and you know my bias, by the way, you know my bias, and I'm I'm very biased in favor of Israel because I feel very strongly that Israel has every right to exist and needs to exist. But these guys out there at the BBC and at MSNBC and CNN and Fox, by the way, Fox News as well, they're pretending like they're not biased. Here we go, BBC. But, uh, you know, it is hard to see what else this could be, really, given the size of the explosion, other than an Israeli airstrike or several airstrikes. Uh, Because, you know, when we've seen rockets being fired out of Gaza, uh, we never see uh, explosions of that scale. We might see 
uh, half a dozen, maybe a few more people being killed in such rocket attacks. But we've never seen anything uh, on the scale of the sort of explosion on the video I was watching earlier, uh, which, as you say, is still to be verified. Ah, so that just makes you an expert because you saw the video earlier. <laughs> of course, the UK has come out and confirmed that that was, in fact, the Palestinians firing on themselves. <laughs> Unbelievable. New York Times, you see the New York Times headline? That the Israelis had bombed the hospital in Gaza? They, they refused to wait for all the facts to come in. They, they immediately went with that headline. It's just atrocious. And then there was like a comma, Palestinians say. Well, I was kind of surprised to see this over at Fox News. And then not so surprised because, you know, it's a different place, different, different, different place. Not what it once was, as they say. Anyway, here's a reporter who's kind of sounding like the guy at the BBC. Live from Los Angeles with all the details. Jonathan, this is quite a story. Yeah, Larry, so the question is, do we know with 100% certainty the source of this explosion? The answer is no, frankly, we don't. We might never be 100% certain given the fog of war that surrounds these things. But two points I want to make The fog of war, the fog of war, the fog of war. Because you see, once again, they want to go back and somehow justify everything for a terror organization. And this is what I find incredibly, incredibly troubling. Very troubling. Listen. <laughs> Joan Rivers had it right, right? Joan Rivers, she had it right. I mean, you got this Christian Amanpour as well saying stuff like this. Yeah, and if, do you think that the, that the leaders, these Arab leaders canceled their trip because of what happened at the hospital in Gaza, and if yes. and you do, and if it is true that the Israelis were not responsible, then what does that say of the of, of the willingness of these Arab leaders to just automatically believe there. whatever the Palestinians say, even if what they're saying isn't accurate? So this is a really important conundrum. First and foremost, we know that it is because of that, because the Jordanian ambassador to Washington last night basically said this is not the moment. And the Palestinian president said he could not go, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, to any such meeting under these circumstances. Now, the issue is, as you said, no matter what the Israelis say and now what the U.S. say, uh, in the in the beginning, before there was any quote-unquote investigation, well, there was an investigation and they came to their conclusions, it ignited the Arab world because yeah. this they've seen so many times. And because, and I'm sorry to say this, because in the past the Israeli IDF has not been honest about what actually happened. Look at Shirin Abu Aple. Wow. I know that we keep talking. She's got a real point of view there, shall we say. So the media has their point of view. Joan Rivers, now deceased, she has hers. Celebrity reactions to what's going on with the Palestinians and Israelis right now. Let me just tell you, if New Jersey were firing rockets into New York, we would wipe them out. I am so bored. We heard they were digging tunnels from New Jersey to New York. We would get rid of Jersey. So I don't want to hear anymore. Oh, 
We'll do a partial truce. And Palestinians, you cannot throw rockets and expect people not to defend themselves. What about the civilian casualty rate? Civilian, then don't put your goddamn things in private homes. I'm sorry. Don't don't you dare put weapon stashes in, in, in private homes and then we say get out. Of, of course we're gonna do it. The response normally is where the where are the civilians supposed to go? I don't care. They started it. It is you're all insane. They started it. What are you all saying? They started it. The Israelis did not throw their but for months this has been going on. How do you resolve it? What are you supposed to how do? You, how do you resolve it? I don't know, because I have been over there. That's how I know. And I wish the world would know. And BBC should be ashamed of themselves. And CNN should be ashamed of themselves. And everybody, stop it already. You know, like uh, Dwight Howard tweeted, keep Palestine to get back. True words never spoken, right? She knew, she knew what was up. That woman was taking no prisoners. Absolutely no prisoners. But, you know... Don't forget, it's somehow those MAGA people, those MAGA people that are the problem, right? Go to Mesobook.com. Require us defeating those most extreme measures uh, and the people who promote them in order to try to get to some common ground where people can, again, work together. That's the way it used to be. I mean, we had very strong partisans in both parties in the past. Uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm-hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how do you do that? Because you said you have to. Yeah. That's what Hillary Clinton was talking about. And the whole Democrat Party was talking about hours before this all went down on October 7th. Well, I'll tell you what those MAGA people were talking about. They were talking about the need to secure our borders. And by the way, it turns out that was kind of a smart thing to do. Because now you get Christopher Wray over at the FBI saying he's very concerned about Hamas-style attacks here in the United States of America. We have learned since October 1st more than 100 known terrorists have been apprehended at the border. And where are they coming from? They're coming from Syria. They're coming from Pakistan. They're coming from Afghanistan. And we had a wide open border for two years. So instead of actually focusing on real threats, instead of focusing on real things like energy policy and actual foreign affairs. No, no, we've been so distracted with a bunch of nonsense because Hillary Clinton is still not over the fact that she did not become the president. I'm sorry, lady, you were not electable. You know, people, people look back on 2016, and the truth is, while Trump had a lot going for him, I mean, I liked the tax policy, I liked the international policy, I will just say this. Quite often, people went to vote Against Hillary. 
not even so much as for Trump, right? They were voting against Hillary because they just didn't like her. So she was a disaster as a candidate. She was a disaster in terms of her own foreign policy. Don't forget Benghazi, right? All under her. And now we're in a situation where um, things are not good. Things are really and truly not good. (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's really tough. I I just got a note, by the way. I don't know if Charles is in the conversation, but I just got a note from Charles over at Legacy Precious Metals that he's matching donations up to 5K. He's personally matching donations as well up to 5K. Um, Charles Thorngrad, for those of you that don't know, he's the sponsor on this program, or sponsor from day one. So we just love him. He's just a, a really wonderful, wonderful guy. I want to give you that URL again, and I want to give you that number, one 800 248 This is just incredible. Charles, thank you. I'm texting him as we speak. I can't, I can't text and talk and, and look at the thing the, the best. So I, I'm just telling him, Charles, I'm texting as we speak. Just told the viewers, you know, listen, that's wonderful. Um, you know, Legacy Precious Metals, some of you know it already. I know some of you have invested with Legacy Precious Metals. Again, they've been the sponsor on this program from the beginning. And it, it, their number, in case you would like it, one 800 You see, I've got that, that the charity number cemented into my head. But thank you, Charles, for that. So they're, they're matching donations, and he personally is doing that as well, because this is just, this is a tough time. This is a tough time for the people over there. And again, like whatever you can do, I just, you know, a dollar, $10, $5. My kids, you know, they, they were getting their, their piggy banks out. They just, they just wanted to help, right? Because people want to feel a sense of purpose. And it's, it's what we're here to do. We're here to help. And those people deserve it to think of their lives being turned upside down. And, and for a long time, because Israel is warning that this could be 10 years right now. So there's an emergency fund in place. Every single dollar that you donate goes straight to the emergency fund and goes straight to the people on the ground, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Please consider it, guys. Please consider it. Uh, it. It's not just to make me happy. It's not just to make them happy. It's it's to make you happy, right? As a well, I'm Christian, and it's part of being a good Christian. I mean, there's something really wonderful. I think just about the Judeo Christian tradition when you look at the the violence that's accepted and encouraged. In the Quran, I'm really troubled by it. One of my friends, Dr. Zudi Jasser, who used to come on my show a lot, I got to get him back on actually because he's just such a wonderful scholar in this field. He is Islamic, and Dr. Jasser, who's a real doctor, by the way, and you know, not a just a not a Dr. Jill kind, a PhD. He's a real doctor, and he takes time out of his life and out of his profession to promote a, a kind of new 
Islamic religion that gets rid of all the violence and the bad stuff because there's good stuff in there too, but you got to really focus on the positive and focus on making things better. You don't convert by the sword. I mean, one of the wonderful things I think about Christianity is it's all about you want to be here, right? You want to be here because you want to help others. And there's a way to live a better life through the help of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is here. He's got your back and he's going to look out for you so long as you look out for yourself as well, right? That's why the victimhood mentality, it just doesn't work. It simply does not work. It's why a guy like Byron Donald, I think, should be the next Speaker of the House. It's foolishness. It's, it's, frankly, it's reckless. Um, you know, the president's just being uh, put up here because it's political and they just want to get Trump. And it, it's really unfortunate. I've been saying a lot. You can be for President Trump or against President Trump. You know, those are matters of politics. Americans, we're allowed to have those disagreements. But when you use the criminal justice system like this to get your political opponent, uh, that's when you really degrade what American values are supposed to be, what American justice is supposed to be. Boom. Spot on. Spot on. So he gets it from the judicial standpoint. He gets it from the economic standpoint. And he gets it from sort of the spiritual standpoint in that we are not victims in America. And in Israel, they're not victims. I mean, think about it. They went there, they took a desert, and they created so much opportunity. Because if you have the right value set, if you're confident, if you're dedicated, if you believe in hard work, you got an opportunity in this life. And don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. That's the whole problem, the entire problem with academia today. They're trying to tell these kids, oh, you can't get ahead because of the color of your skin, or you can't get ahead because you're a woman. My, my dad, this is, <laughs> some of you may know this story. My dad got me this t-shirt, it was the 70s, when I was a little girl that said, anything boys can do, girls can do better. Now, that was a little much, right? <laughs> a little much, I get it, I get it, I get it. But what he wanted me to know was that I would never be held back because of anything. Ivanka Trump used to say that her dad told her that she could do anything she wanted, right? You're only held back by your imagination. That you could be anything you want to be. I mean, it's that glass half full kind of attitude that makes people a success. (laughs) And my parents were definitely that way. I mean, no matter what happened, it was like, well, thank goodness. I was a little kid. I was swinging in a hammock. I fell off, went straight down, bloody nose, the whole thing. You know, we, we weren't really into doctors growing up much as a kid, so nobody took me to the doctor. I still have a little scar under my nose as a result. And uh, my parents said, well, thank goodness, you know, you're still alive. Um, when everything blew up at Fox and I was unceremoniously shown the door, they said, well, aren't you the luckiest girl in the world. (laughs) And I was actually, and I am. And they say, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. Cause can you imagine you'd still be there and you would, you would have been going into that office every day during the thick of March, 2020. And you're so lucky. And I think back on that now. And 
that frame of mind is what separates all of us, right, from being successful or not successful. Because part of how you look at life is so vital to that success. In other words, sure, somebody else is always going to have something bigger and better. Somebody else is always going to be younger or prettier or this or that or the other. But if you think about how fortunate you are, just every, I mean, I think about how fortunate I am not to be at Fox. And my parents are right. Or how fortunate I am to, to live in the country as opposed to that big city where I spent so much of my time. And when you think about things like this, you're looking at the glass as half full. And the problem with the people in Gaza, and it's not entirely their fault, it's their leader's fault. They have been, a, they've been fed a narrative that doesn't allow them to see the sunny side of the street, so to speak. Another thing my dad would do with me when I was little, and I never knew it was a quiz or anything. He'd, he'd fill up two glasses of milk or something. He'd say, is this half, half full or half empty? I was always like, half full, of course. Right answer, ding, ding, ding. But it's all about your outlook. So I, I, I just leave you with that. And I think that one of the great things about our culture here in America that has always been and should not be perverted by the likes of what's going on right now is that we do believe we can be anything we want to be and that we believe in the value of hard work. I know it takes a little luck and this and that along the way, but, you know, as my uncle always said, God helps those who help themselves. In other words, you got to create your own luck. you got to do your part, and he'll meet you there. <laughs> Great. I'm reading some of the comments. I'm reading some of the comments. Leslie, your parents said, walk it off, walk it off. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, Michael, thank you. Yes, I, I, I feel like it's important in a time like this to share these experiences. I'm really seeing something critical in our society right now in that there's so much negativity. There's so much victimhood. Enough with it, okay? You know, you pick yourself up and you keep on going. When I was a kid, I used to like to be in theater and acting and all that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I, I actually, I mean, some of you may know I actually wanted to be an opera singer. I joke that the news is kind of like operatic enough, uh, shall we say. Anyway, I really, and, and I've said to my kids, you know, nine out of ten things that I would go out for, I wouldn't get. But you learn more from being able to bounce back from those experiences because the people that won't go out and take the chance again, they're the ones that lose out. It's all about staying strong, staying optimistic. And as hard as stuff as, as you know, things like this, hard, hard stuff. I see Charles now. Charles, welcome. As hard as all this is, we got we to gotta stay positive. And so part of giving back, whether it's to the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews or whether it's to your local church or whether it's just, you know, volunteering and helping out with Little League, whatever you can do to give back, it'll come back to you in spades. Just keep that positive outlook and keep sharing it over and over and over and over again with everyone. 
so that they can feel better too. I'll leave you with this. Someone said to me, I was gone the last couple of days. I had a photo shoot and you're smiling and smiling and smiling in the photo shoot, but I felt great. And the photographer said to me, you know, there's actually like a study that's been done. People that smile, it gives us all these endorphins. You actually feel better. You have a better outlook on life. So in the face of so much tragedy, I encourage you to do your part, whatever it is, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, anything you can give and feel good about it. And tell your neighbor, encourage them to do it too, because I think as we spread this generosity and this positivity, it will it will have a very, very good effect. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Love seeing all of you here. And we'll talk again tomorrow.